You you caught us in the middle of a a joke there. Uh, Funny, funny way for us to intro, but welcome back to another edition of the Daily Dots. What we we were laughing about is on on our, um, on our, on our platform here to, um, you know, to, to to record the shows and document them and all that kind of stuff. um, There's a button on here that says echo cancellation. And when you turn it off, it sounds awful. We're just laughing at, I mean, it's good to have that button in case you'd like a lot of echoes, right? Uh, you know, it's, maybe, like, it's like a hotel that advertises air conditioning. Like, what is this, North Korea? Yeah, like, right. of course <laughs> I want air conditioning. It's not a. Nah. It's not an option. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm going to save a few dimes here. I'd rather sweat it out. It's in, a, in well, the hotel scenario. It's the reenactment of apocalypse now, right? I got to be in there, you know, in the pace on the pace on the floor like a tamed or like, or like a caged lion. Anyway, uh, so you missed us yesterday. I did my best to. Uh, to, to, to man the ship without you. Um, but not a whole lot of data came out yesterday. Um, looking yeah. at another close, we're sitting here. Where, where did we close on the indexes? S&P was flat last time I looked. Uh, NASDAQ was trading down. It's like, yeah, pretty much flat for S&Ps. Uh, the Qs closed down about 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7. Okay. And small caps down about 0. 0.9. Gotcha. So, um, Sure. Uh, the, the one notable from all that to me is Apple. Apple's Apple's traded pretty rough lately. It closed down almost two percent. Uh, now below the thirty-three and fifty-day moving averages. That's one, two, three, four, five, five red days in a row. It just that one's been a little interesting. Everything else is pretty much at or near highs. Obviously, Tesla's not, but everything else. Yeah, it's a that's and that's a that's a pretty big one. A little bit of a bellwether there. Reminds me. Uh, it's, um, what was it? A $250,000 IOU. Yep. That's a big one. Going to want to hold on to that one worth every penny. My kids have gotten into dumb and dumber again. So I've been reliving this, you know, it's a great movie. It really is. Our pets heads are falling off. Uh, so what, what else do we have on economic data for the week coming up? Well, the, the it's grand of the Super Bowl. Yeah. See so the granddaddy of them all tomorrow with, with the fed and the chapter two of the, of the, quarterly refunding announcement from the treasury um, where they'll, they'll break down the the durations that they're going to sell. Um, I think, I think some of us probably were hoping for a little bit of fireworks on that, but I think when chapter one was released tomorrow showing that they're, they're planning to borrow less than we all thought the chances of them now stepping in and selling a bunch more duration than thought like is pretty, pretty low. So I expect more of the same. They're going to issue a bunch of bills. That's going to keep pulling down the reverse repo facility, ushering in the end of quantitative tightening sometime this year. So I don't think that's going to be a headwind for markets at all. If anything, maybe a tailwind. Um, and then, we, and then of course we get the Fed, which, which is it's funny because everyone is viewing this Fed meeting as very uneventful because we know they're not going to change policy, right? They're not going to do anything with rates, but it's going to go a long way to shaping how you know the next the rest of the year goes he, whether he sets up a a firm may cut whether he you know puts closes the door on a march cut or leaves it open you know just how that all shakes out um he still has a humphrey hawkins congressional testimony between now and and the march move um a little birdie tells me he might hit 60 minutes um and if that's going to be the case I would, I would assume he's not hitting 60 minutes to be a hawk. So um, that, that would be interesting. Uh, today's data, 
housing data wasn't a big deal as far as prices, maybe a little more sluggish than people thought. Um, Jolts was certainly hotter than expected. The conference board consumer confidence data was hot. Uh, some of the like internals on labor, so jobs being plentiful versus hard to get, the spread between that. That thing's like actually rocketing higher, which is telling us the labor market in some ways might be even even firming back up, which is going to put keep pressure on wages to stay pretty high, which that is a that is a tough environment for the Fed to to do much cutting into, but maybe they just will anyway. Speaking of that, if the Fed's going to cut into a, a a hot environment, normally the Fed's cutting rates are just going to go down, right? But I, I think if you cut into a hot environment, you're asking for you're asking for the long bond to to actually go the other direction. I think I think the long bond could start heading back towards five if you're just going to cut into strength. I. <clears throat> I don't know. I but I will say this. I I feel like with every single day, uh, I'm increasingly convinced that something's wrong with the data. I just I, I don't. The labor market is not firming up. I, I just don't buy it. I and 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 look, I could end up with tire treads on my face here, and <laughs> tire tracks on my face in two to three months. I, I just it, I don't know what to say to that because it does not match anything you're seeing else. I, I there's. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I just know that none of this makes any sense. Yeah. To me, the, and I had a tweet about this today to say like, there's a lot of data that makes it look like the labor market could be heading towards like a big accident. And then there's a bunch of data that says it's fine. Like it, it's, if you have a firm opinion on where labor is in four months from now, like you're lying to yourself. Because, no kidding. Because the, the data can, you, you can easily paint a wonderful picture to support your thesis either direction right now. Yeah, and I and I think it's a bit easier to paint it to the to the to the downside. Um, I just, I think that's true. If you mean like hiring and stuff is weakening, that that's yeah. fine. But like to say like we're gonna lose jobs and have people like have you know net jobs going down or you know wage growth go from five to three, I, I don't think the data supports that either at the moment. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that that's happening. No, I would agree with you. I don't think that's happening right now. I don't think anything points to that. I just, I, again, I'll just keep saying it. I, I just, whether it's inflation being understated or something, I, I just, I mean, just think about it. And, and this kind of thinking can get you in trouble. So take it with a grain of salt. The data or, or the hard numbers are telling you that you're growing at 4%. If this is 4% growth, it's unlike any other 4% I've ever seen in my life. Nothing corresponds with it. Um, I, I do not see evidence of, I, Again, on an anecdote, like I just don't see evidence of mass hiring. That's not what you're hearing from people. I don't hear evidence of the no, but we, but we, that's behind us. I mean, we had mass hiring. Oh yeah, yeah. So you're no, not going to keep going. What I'm saying is, I don't see any evidence. Of, I, I just I, I I keep looking at everything, and I'm like, the thing that makes the most sense to me is that one way or another, growth is somehow being overstated, and or or inflation's being under something. This just is not. I mean, I've been in four percent growth environments. You do not have this much bad data in four four percent growth environments. You just don't. But with that said, the the, the bad data is all soft. So who knows? No, no, but 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 home sales are not soft. Okay, automobile sales are not soft. Uh, uh, delinquency data is not soft. N- none of this stuff is supportive. None of it. And 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 you and and furthermore, you know, you've got more nasty BS that you got to wade through this year. You're going to have more defaults on the commercial. I just again, I don't. 
I can, I'll continue to just keep repeating it. I'm also not saying that I think everything's falling apart. I'm just saying something is off. This is not making sense. And I don't know what that is. Again, I could be proven wrong a few months from now. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. You, you've got a, You've got a market and economy and everybody acting as if this is like the beginning of a cycle. This is not the beginning of a cycle. It's not. That's a ridiculous scent. That is a ridiculous notion. It's not. So then you're sitting there kind of grappling with what, what, how to picture this. And I just continue to think the Occam's razor easiest lens to look at this thing through is something's off. The, the data, I don't think it's horrible. I don't think it's nearly as robust as they're, as they're putting. There's no evidence of that anywhere. Except the deficit. Like, that's the only thing that gives me pause. You know what I mean? Like, that is a lot of deficit spending. At the same time, you're not seeing it show up in smartphones. You're not seeing it in automobiles. You're not seeing – I mean, you know, consumer spending is is strong, but consumer spending is a direct one-off of inflation, right? I mean, like, meaning meaning you could have res- you could have a recessionary environment and have life miserable and have consumer spending still growing by 3 to 5%. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, but but a consumer, I mean, consumer spending has been well above you know like normal average trend. However, you want to look at it in the last, especially in the last six months, like it has been. But but like, when we talk about this today, like you you slash the price of gasoline, um, and and then you just you end the at least rampant increases in the prices of other things like food, whatever, shelter, all, all that you know was just going nuts, annualizing at like twenty percent, and now it's it's pushed back down to somewhere between down a little to up a little call it or you know or it could be that, the finance could, that, and you're still getting a four or five percent raise like it could also be just the financialization effect you know that's the other thing i've been thinking about lately meaning and again i'm just spitballing guys i'm not i'm not a phd economist so you know that's why i was tell we're hooking up with steve mir and trying to get him back on the show to have that conversation with him about this particular topic but having said all that, um, yeah, I, it, it's, I, it's, it's a very, it's a very hard. I think it's a very hard environment to have, like you said, a concrete view one way or other, especially on the employment side. Um, on the, you know, on the consumer spending side, co- consumers do. I mean, that has been surprisingly resilient, at least from my perspective. Yeah, I agree. Um. At the same time, like I said, consumer spending is a tricky one to me, especially in an inflationary environment, because how much of that spending is coercive spending, for lack of a better term, right? Like it's hard to it's hard to know kind of what that deal is, especially when I see Nike missing numbers in big ways, when I see Disney struggling the way it is, right? All the things that would typically correspond with better consumer spending, you're not seeing that either. Yeah, it's definitely not hitting retail. Like, yeah, not all. R- retail itself is is still is still largely struggling. But if you just look at consumer discretionary as like so an, could, an entire sector, it's it's I mean it's doing fine. Could 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 what I'm saying though is that the way we tabulate GDP and all these other kind of things, maybe it's just high asset prices that are creating a four percent print on GDP growth. I, I think that's that's true in the sense that if but but only in the sense that it does flow downstream into consumer spending now what what makes it tough though is how how when we've we've hit on this a lot but how bifurcated the economy is like a lot of people at the low end are they're struggling a lot a lot of young people are struggling a lot and that and that kind of colors you to where it makes you feel like "Ah, the economy can't be doing that good but if rich people are are doing it called this the top half if they're doing great 
they they can spend a lot of money. Like their their spending power is significant. Um, but but the interesting thing um, I kind of want to kind of like t- touch on here and where I want to take this though is two things. One, uh, if if the Treasury's right and they don't have to borrow that much in Q1 and Q2 of 2024, well then that that kind of means that the this fiscal support and stimulus and, and tailwind that we've had, well, it's kind of letting up then if you're telling me the deficit's about to go down. And also if you're, t- if, if the fed's going to start cutting rates, that also makes the deficit go down as the money that the fed federal government has to pay for those T bills gets sliced. Like that's a, that's a sort of a stimulus, uh, a counter stimulus, you know, for the private sector, cause you get less interest income. And then for the government, you're cutting the, the deficit. So that, that could be – you could have this counterintuitive thing where rate cuts sort of kind of hurt the economy. But they'll drive stocks up. Yeah, I mean – well, unless – Well, as we found out in the last – Unless earnings are bad Rate enough. hikes and rate cuts drive stocks up. It cuts both ways. It's the new math. Right. If you take the Warren Mosler school, you, you could argue it kind of makes sense that, that hey, if you go high enough on rates, you're going to stimulate rich people that own all those treasuries. Yeah, and then maybe 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 they'll go spend a bunch of money. Interest income is massive. Yeah. So if you start cutting into it, and if you if you view the the well, I know, but the, the fiscal is, deficit yeah, but, as yeah, stimulus, yeah. But the but again, all of this stuff is assuming you got a central bank standing there with trillions of dollars stuff in the back. The, the issue I've always had with Mosler's point is by the time they start getting that interest expense, bank balance sheets are going to be Swiss cheese. What? But. Unless you've got a Fed there, what yeah, I'm saying, but, they, but we do. And this was this is this is another thing, and this is not new either. But it's another thing that is getting increasingly concerned to me. You are stacking the non-productive garbage, and and you're stacking the ridiculous. You, you know, this stuff is getting stacked really high. What's wrong? So, sorry, I'm getting breaking news in. It looks like Microsoft beat Alphabet is getting hit um, on Google ad revenue. I saw Starbucks had was down there. They had disappointing uh, overseas revenue. So I don't know how bad any of these individual names look or good they look, but that's what just popped out on our breaking news. Yeah. Microsoft's only up 0.5. So it must not have been too overwhelming. Azure is growing faster than expected according to the headline, but uh, uh with that said, all, all these people are probably going to issue all their 2024 guidance that could be good or bad and completely change the initial reaction. So yeah. who knows? Yeah. That's why I like to just wait until these things are over. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, 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 um, I, you know, what's on it. I, I think you're at a point now where, I mean, I, you, you want to see the earnings reports. You want to know what the data is. I just don't even think it matters. You know what I mean? Like it can matter on a day or two, but this, you know, like it it reminds me of, wasn't it last report? Google got hit on earnings first day, two days later, doesn't even matter. Just starts rallying again with the rest of the queues. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to the top end, well, you look. It has to be catastrophic, because if not, the flows are just going to pick. Yeah, it, and you, you know, and, dust and look, it off. Yeah, and you're in a market like there's no sense in fighting at this point. You're in a market that still does not care about fundamentals, which is why I think it's funny that you get all these violent moves. I mean, I get positioning and things like that, but violent moves right before and after an earnings announcement, where you look at them, and go, "Hey guys, this doesn't matter." You know what I mean? Like, what, whatever happens to stock happens to stock. Minute the flows pick back up, you're going to run right back up. Yep. You know, there, there you go. 
So MAG7 was down 0.76 on the day, and, and after hours is down 0.77. So not a not a great start for big tech earnings, I suppose. No. And the Qs are down 0.3 in after hours. Like I said, man, I mean, we'll, hey, look, we'll keep an eye out. And if we're wrong, as always, we'll be the first to admit it. I, I just think that – I don't think that you're really looking – at any big exogenous shocks this year. I, I think the biggest issue you've got is you've got a lot of price. You got a lot priced into the stocks. I think it's virtually impossible for the company yeah. to perform at a level that meets it. Everyone's like, tell us about your AI grand slam. And if you didn't hit one, you're going down. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see if there's a follow through. I would say they did that to themselves. Well, and investors did. And, and yeah. just, you, you're living in a post-valuation world. And I don't know how much longer it can last. Usually, they don't last very long. Yeah. But at some point, some semblance of normalcy needs to come back in here. And you're pricing all this stuff. I mean, like, like for instance, like you look at Microsoft. What are you expecting on the run-up? Microsoft will tell you right now that they don't have anything to sell on AI. You're probably not going to see any. They have their co-pilot thing. You're probably, I mean, no literally, like. and, and, and look, this is also a testament to how great of a company Microsoft is too. Okay. It really is, but you're probably, and I'm talking best case scenario, you're probably two to three years out before they've got anything that makes a meaningful impact to their bottom line. And, and it's not saying that because what they're going to launch is insignificant. It's just the law of large numbers guys. You know what I mean? Like to have a pro, I mean, you know, to give an earnings boost to 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 give it to boost Microsoft's earnings by ten percent, it you need to increase earnings by almost eight billion dollars. Okay, you got a business, you got an entire business that's producing eight billion in profit a year. That's pretty dang good. Yeah, that ain't easy to build, right? And so I, you just get to this point where you're just like, I don't really understand what investors are expecting. These companies are amazing. But even they can't just create $8 billion businesses in six months. And when I say $8 billion business, you'd figure they're running 50 to 60% margins. So really, you're talking about a 16 to 20 billion. And that's just to move earnings 10%. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, you're getting yeah. to a point. Now, the underlying growth of their business is growing too. But at 13, 14 times sales with a $3 trillion company, I love Microsoft. They're a beast. How do you buy it these levels? Right. I mean, so they I had to look it up because I had no idea. They have Bing Chat, which currently they're not even charging for, and then they have the Microsoft 365 Copilot, which they're charging thirty bucks for, and nobody's buying it. Yeah, my. I mean, if you're if you're going to ask me for thirty, it, it better be awesome. But nobody's buying it. Even they've yeah. said that. So that's my. That, I'll be curious to see today what they say about the the rollout of Copilot. And and it's not like it's cheap to build these things. It costs a lot of money to crunch all that data. So either like for instance, if you're all AI hot, if you're all AI hot, I would much rather now look. I haven't looked into this company, so it could be a fraud. Like I'm just saying, but just on the surface of it, right? Looking at the kind of the different idea, you know, themes, if you will. If you're all AI hot, I think a company like Super Microcomputers is a better play. I mean, it's not cheap, but you're 40 times earnings, but you look at the revenue ramp rate it's got, right? That company can 5 to 10x its earnings in a relatively short period of time if AI is legit. Microsoft can't come – if AI is everything everybody thinks it is on the bullish side, Microsoft won't come close to that. And and it's nothing wrong about Microsoft. It's just <laughs> law of large and, numbers. And, and, right? they are, and they already own a big chunk of what everyone considers to be the leader in in at least in the chat space right yeah in open ai so like 
there's more that can go wrong in a, in a lot of ways. Like That's if, the if, thing. if open AI falls off, then, you know, you kind of fall off as the, as the AI proxy. Plus, like you say, I mean, at one point, are you making more money on or even close to the same amount of money on anything AI related versus, you know, all of us, all of us people that have to use Microsoft 365 for everything we do. Now, the one thing I do want to mention, because we've got to wrap it up here pretty quick. But the one thing I do want to mention for all that you, you gave me a really good piece of information today, uh, all the bagging I've done on Netflix. You brought something up today that finally made sense. Can you walk us through that really quick? Yeah. Um, so I was listening to Mike Taylor and Mike Green on Grant Williams' podcast, and they were talking about how essentially, like, if you're a active manager that wants to, to that wants to kind of closet index, wants to as best you can mimic the S&P or mimic the NASDAQ. And guys, just so everybody knows, when we say closet indexing, what we mean is guys out there that are saying they're active managers like we are. But when you look at the underlying portfolio, they're basically just hugging the index with a little bit of difference here and there to say they're not, but basically just trying to track the index, hopefully beat it by as much as their fee. And and that's, that's yeah, what you're, we're you're 5% about. different than Vanguard and charging a bunch of money with like a, you know, a glossy brochure and hoping it all works out. Um, but if you want to do that, some, a lot of these folks have um, a rule that says like, well, you can't have more than X in one position. So if, if you want to, if you want to closet index, sorry, like you can't take the market weighting position in Apple and, and, and Microsoft because it would be too big, too much risk. So a way that they try to make up for that is to, instead of just overweighting that top 10, maybe overweight, number 11 through 20 or 11 through 30, whatever, like however you want to look at the, the, the top of the distribution there. Um, and they, obviously these people aren't going to care if it's overvalued or anything. It's just, look, I'm, I'm trying to get close to the index so I can make a bunch of money and, and go. I can't put 50% of my client portfolios in seven stocks. Right. How can I put 50% of their portfolio in 15 stocks? Right. So I can, I can, <laughs> yeah. I can essentially keep, keep, keep hugging pace. the index as fast as I can. So without having to use uh, without having to use an ETF because if they right. stick an ETF in there they blow their cover right yeah so so if you do that you end up buying a whole bunch of Tesla a whole bunch of Netflix and in and in that light it, it it makes more sense that some of those names in that you know ten to twenty bucket are as as overvalued as as they are and you've talked about Netflix a lot like one that just kind of blows your mind when you just kind of run the numbers on it. But if there's enough of these people, and maybe there are, maybe they aren't, but it's a, it's to me, it's a really thoughtful viewpoint. Um, well, that, that would, it has explanatory power on why they would be that way. Yeah, it does. It's just odd, you know, when you do this job for a long enough time, you see certain things and you expect to see corresponding things. You know, when I see 40, 50, 60 times earnings, my immediate thought when I see a company like that is, okay, we got a grower on our hands, right? This baby's growing. It's really the only thing that would justify paying that kind of multiple multiple on a stock. I have never in my career, except for short blips of times for one-off reasons, right? Because P, especially PEs, they're very noisy numbers. And, and I hate talking about them because I don't think they're a great way, but sometimes yeah, they aren't, but no. And sometimes it's the only way. And, and guys, the reason you have to be careful with PEs, go look at the record high PE on the S&P 500. It happened in 2009. Okay. And the reason it happened in 2009 is because Banks all had negative earnings and the banks were by far the biggest participant of earnings on the S&P 500. So when the banks all had to take their write downs, their earnings all went negative. And therefore, just because the market was priced like the country was not going bankrupt, <laughs> right? Nice. It was enough to where the price to earnings ratio was like at 100. 
right? So it's just, it's, it's very noisy. My whole point is one thing I have never seen over extended periods of times, right? The other things that you can have is you can have, you can have a one-off really nasty quarter where a one-off charge happens and it can make earnings look artificially low. It can, so there's a lot of different things that, but generally speaking, when you see multiples like that, you, you're going to see growth. Now you may not see good cash flow, but you're going to see growth, right? That's the crazy part about it is you look at so many of these names whose multiples have gone back up to 2021 levels and the growth has collapsed. That's right. the, the, I just, I've never seen that. I've never seen a company whose growth trajectory is in single digits and trending lower, flat to lower with that kind of multiple on it. It's just, it's a real head scratcher. Now, if they had like, if they had some like bizarre, like 20 billion sitting in cash on the balance sheet or something like that, you know, there'd be a one-off, you could explain it, but you look at Netflix and, and it, it, none of those things apply. And especially in a business like that, there's no secret sauce they've got. That's all this. You know what I mean? They don't have any levers to pull. They got to keep spending on content the way they are. They, it just, there's nothing that explains that, that multiple gap. And so, you know, I not saying it can't come, not saying it can't, uh, uh, keep rolling. Obviously it can. Uh, but that, that, that was a great piece of information because all of a sudden you said that and I went, okay, that makes sense. That, that makes sense. But right. the other, the other, we talk about this a lot today and we got to wrap it up here, but the other interesting thing to keep an eye on the emergence. Now we just had an, a, another ETF coming out that's shorting volatility, right? Guys, there's no telling where this part comes, but now listen to us talk about them closet indexing Netflix, right? What you're seeing is an increasing amount of market activity that has nothing to do with underlying fundamentals. Okay. And I know you guys hear me talk about this all the time, but the more and more these cute games that have to do with market structure and flows and not value get stacked on top of each other, the more and more brittle and fragile the market becomes. There is no telling whether we're 40% into that process, 8% into that process, or 100%. It feels to me like it's late innings, but I've said that before. I just think it bears watching. There, there is an increasing amount of nonsense going on in markets every single day that, are, that have less and less and less to do with underlying fundamentals, and that has always spelled problems in the past, correct? Yes. But it has never it has never been just because you see it does not mean that it's imminent 100%. So you know you know that I, exactly what I say could be happening as it appears it is to me and you could not see any problems from it for 2 years or ever or ever. <laughs> but but what I will say is that when I look at all the different parts this year the defaults we know we're going to have on the commercial real estate side all these things yeah you've got a lot of there's a lot of dry tinder, you know, and, and it's increasing all the time. That being said, you know, I, I was thinking about what we were talking about with Yellen and everything in the Fed. It is really hard for me to envision a scenario where this market gets nasty significantly so before the election. I, I'm having an increasing tough time. You know, they, they still have a lot of levers to play. I do believe that those people do not want to see Trump back in office. I just don't know what their motivation level is, you know, so it's impossible to, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. All right, guys. Well, I got to run. Thank you for listening for another edition of the daily dots. As always, we will be back tomorrow. Uh, as always download and subscribe at know your risk radio. You're listening to know your risk radio podcast, download and subscribe at know your risk 
The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.